Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So we are in the mornings here, if you come to any of our places in the morning, we're doing a a little series, it's a bit different, where we are looking at uh, different passages in John's gospel. Um, He calls them signs, there's like seven of them that all point to something about Jesus. And John, the writer of the gospel, is really deliberate in terms of which passages he picks. He says... You know what? He said, if I tried to write everything down about what Jesus did, it'd fill all the libraries. In fact, there wouldn't be enough room in all the libraries in all the world for all of the amazing things that Jesus did. He said, but these things I've written so that you'll believe. So he's got a purpose in terms of what he's writing and what he's selecting. And he wants us to see the signs, but not just to see the signs, but to see what the signs are pointing towards, who Jesus is, what he's like, what he can do. So that's the reason for all of these different uh, signs. And um, we're on three. And this morning, who was at um, an ivy this morning? Just so I can see quite a few. Okay, we looked at um, a passage in John chapter five. And people would have then got into groups and then just shared what they thought, answering a few different questions about them. And, um, you know, no wrong answers so much as what do you think? And uh, we really want to encourage people to be able to, uh, to know that you can meaningfully interact with God by uh, opening the Bible and, uh, and, and looking into it. Um, but I thought myself, as I was um, studying this passage, there was so much in it that I wanted to just uh, spend a bit of time tonight bringing uh, some more out of it. And obviously this isn't me just going, oh, well, let's open the Bible and see what it says. I've, I've done some study and it's good to also do that. And you can still do that. You can study the Bible. You can dig deep into it and use different resources to be able to do that. Um, so, Lord, as we come now to your word, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to it. And in, in this different way that we're now doing it with somebody up the front speaking about it, we pray that you would come and uh, bring your life and your light onto your word so that it would be to us the living word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it'd be good for you if you wanted to, to have your Bible open at John chapter 5. If you've got good eyes, I've put it on the screen, and you might be able to read it off there. Um, so, it's John chapter 5, and it says, after this, after what? Well, after the four chapters that went before it, where he's talked about the ministry that Jesus did in Galilee. And um, so, there's different signs that happened in Galilee, and he's already talked about a couple of those. And you can, it's actually about 16 months that Jesus was in Galilee. And um, the first four chapters have all been about John saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is God come to live with us. And this is the kind of thing that he's doing to point towards that. And then it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He said up because if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem. It's a a city on a hill and uh, you have to go up to it. So... um, There was a feast, it says. There were actually three feasts that every Jewish man was meant by law at that time to to attend to fulfill the law of God. So we don't know what feast this was. 
and we're not entirely sure and it doesn't really matter. But what does matter is to notice that Jesus fulfilled and obeyed the law of God. We're going to see that um, people's interpretation of the law of God was not that important to Jesus. What they said about it. So we're going to see later on that there's something about the Sabbath that goes on. And um, Jesus has some things to say about the Sabbath throughout uh, all of the Gospels. But he is concerned about the law of God. But he's not bound by the ways of men and the way that men interpret the laws of God. Now there is, this is a different version but a similar thing. Now there is, and that word is important because John's describing something that's, you know, it's happening. It's like if I was to say now there is uh, in Manchester a building called such and such a thing, it's because it's there. Now in AD 70, the, the Romans came in and they destroyed the city and um, smashed it to bits. And for centuries, nobody ever saw this place that he's describing at all. So this indicates to me an early date for John writing these things. There is what? In Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda. Various names for what that means. Um, I, think, I believe it means the house of mercy. I think that's a beautiful thing. Jesus comes to the house of mercy. What happens when Jesus comes to the house of mercy? Which has five porticos. What's a portico? It's a kind of, it's a porch really. It's a, it's a, a, a shaded area. And there's columns. You know, you could have three, four, five, six columns. You've seen them outside buildings where there's like a shaded area. And if you've ever been to these countries, it's really hot. And if you're sick and you're going to be there all day, you want to be in the shade. You don't want to be out in the sun. So in these lay a multitude of, in, of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. And one man was there who'd been ill for 38 years. Now, for many years, many liberal scholars, so-called, of the Bible, said that this didn't really happen because there was no such place. And we couldn't find such a place. So John's making up a nice story about how nice Jesus is and how Jesus did nice things and was a nice man. And he went around encouraging people and doing you know, good, kind things like a good Englishman should. And uh, they pointed to a passage like this and they say, no, this is proof that you can't actually rely on the Bible if you're looking for historical fact and truth. Because it's just myths and fables and stories. But there's value in them for us as religious people who want to learn something about what God's like. But the truth was that the site of this pool was lost because, as I said, there was a, the, the, in Jerusalem was smashed to bits by the Romans and various other people over the years. And the site was hidden and undiscovered for centuries until it was actually rediscovered in the beginning of the 1960s by archaeologists who came and in the place that John said they were digging and they find a place where there's the remains of this pool with five porticos around it just like the Bible said all along in the place located north of the Temple Mount which is now called St. Stephen's Gate which was in fact the site of the Sheep Gate that uh, John mentions here everything was there just as the Bible says it was 
Now, in lots of versions, and maybe if you're following it, you're going to see that verse 4 is missing. It's not in all of the, all of the uh, different passages. Some Bibles will put it in as a footnote at the bottom. And the reason that they do that is because they think it was added later by somebody else who was trying to help to explain to us something that the man says in a few moments that we're going to read. Um, and basically, what, what it was added in later, they believe, so it's not actually John's words. And whether it was or wasn't, it doesn't really matter to me. But the explanation is important because what he says is, Something happened in this place. The people who came to this place believed something about it. In perhaps a superstitious way, they believed that from time to time, when the water bubbled, when it got troubled up, from time to time, when it moved, and maybe it would rise up quickly and then sink back down again, they believed, some people said, maybe it was a myth, maybe it was a legend, that an angel had dived into the water at that point, and that was what it was that was making it all bubble up. So they thought it was like an invisible angel that jumped into the pool in some way. And so the water came to be known or thought of to have healing properties. And so it became a site that people would bring sick people to. And you're going to find this, aren't you? In many parts of the world, there's holy sites that people would, will come to and they'll pray. And in different, even different religions. I was in, um, years ago, I went to the south of India, Tamil Nadu. And there's a place there called uh, Rameshwaram. It's the second holiest place in the world for Hindus. And uh, there's a temple built there and the water's there and they believe that the monkey god put his foot there. And as a result of that, people will go on these huge pilgrimages all the way down the whole of India to be able to come in. They're, you know, they're going with the animals and everything, you can see them. And it's because they believe that the water has got these healing powers. Or, um, you know, Roman Catholics um, will think about a place called Lourdes in, uh, in southwestern France, which has a, normally has a population of about 15,000 people. But they can have up to five million visitors in that little town because they believe that the water there, sick people have been healed in that place. And you know, and sick people are desperate and they're going to come. And well, what was going on? Well, maybe like many similar pools that actually are in, in that area, there was an intermittent spring and sometimes water would get released in surges from a reservoir hidden in the hills around the city. And that would cause these springs to bubble up and the superstition, as I say, started. It was an angel that was doing it. And uh, maybe some healings did actually get reported or did actually happen there. Because otherwise, why would anybody come in the first place? But whatever had happened, some kind of reputation came around this pool as being a special healing place, the House of Mercy, Bethesda. And I think, well, I, actually, before I go there, I used to think that the guy had been an invalid there, he'd, he'd been there for 38 years, but when you read it, it doesn't say that, not that he'd been there every day for 38 years, it just says that he'd been ill, ill for 38 years, when you read it. And we don't know what was wrong with him exactly, the Greek word there is asthenia, which could refer to all kinds, pretty much any kind of debilitating condition that he had, but what we do know is the man can't move into the pool himself. He can't do it. Maybe he's disabled or paralysed in some way, but he's unable to walk and, it's, and he's been sick for 38 years. Maybe he's got worse and worse and worse over those 38 years and he's got to this point now, but now he can't move. Now he can't help. Literally, he can't help himself. But he's not the only one. There's a crowd. There's loads of sick people there. 
All kinds of people, all kinds of diseases, blind people, lame people, sick people. And they're all lying in the shade, all waiting for the water, watching the water, waiting for the water to be troubled, to bubble up. And they all want to be the first in. You can imagine when the bubbles come, people would roll in, throw themselves in, do whatever they could to get in that water in this desperate hope that they're going to get healed. Hoping for healing, hoping for mercy to turn up in some way at this place that they're all waiting for. And then one day Jesus comes. And he comes to this one man. Out of all of the crowd, Jesus comes out of the crowd, into the crowd, and he picks one man. Why? Why just one man? You see, Jesus didn't empty all the five porticos and heal everybody. He didn't invite them all to come down the front somewhere so he could lay hands on them in the name of Jesus, which was his own name, so maybe he wouldn't do that anyway. But he, he, he didn't do that. He just goes to one man and asks him a question. Jesus asks people lots of questions, by the way. You know, we think about Jesus giving answers, but if you read through the Gospels, you're going to see Jesus ask lots and lots of questions of people. He was always asking people questions. So, why did he only heal one man? Well, my honest answer to that is I don't know. There's a guy called Bill Johnson said when he talks about, about this passage he says you can always be encouraged if you focus on what God is doing <laughs> so you can spend a lot of time thinking about all the other people and how come Jesus didn't do that but you can always be encouraged if you focus on what God is doing think about who is being healed focus on that see I don't know why he only healed one but I'm glad he did. I bet he was glad he did. Sometimes we spend so much time wondering and focusing on what we don't see God doing right now. And that's just a, a pattern for a miserable life. What's your usual focus? Why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? I've asked that. I've asked that question so many times. When I've prayed for sick people, and not everyone's been healed. Some people have been healed. Some people have not been healed. Why doesn't Jesus heal everybody? He did ministry for three years. And there's times when it says that he would go into a place. And he healed every kind of sickness and disease. He healed the whole crowd. Sometimes he did that. But he didn't always do it like that. And even when I say like that. He didn't always do it the same way. You know Jesus would sometimes do. Like a. You know it pretty much seems like a drive by healing. You know. He just kind of would. Speak a word, and or he'd send somebody. Like we looked at last week, he says to a, a guy, "Go home, it'll be all right." That's it. And he took him at his word, and he went home. And the person that he was praying for was better. Sometimes, you know, Jesus did crazy stuff, didn't he? Spit mud pies on people's eyes. That's like, Ugh, isn't it? Really? Imagine if I did, did that. We're going to do a healing meeting. I've got spit, I've got mud pies. <laughs> Who's coming to that? See, I don't know, but Jesus, it's like Jesus was, you know what he said? He just said, I only want to do what the Father's doing. I just want to listen to what the Father's doing. And if he's telling me to do that, that's what I'm going to do. There wasn't a formula. Sometimes we make this about a formula. It's never about a formula. So I don't know why Jesus didn't heal everybody, but I'm glad that he healed this guy. 
And sometimes we'll be the one who needs prayer. Sometimes it will be us on the mat. We all need help at different times in different ways. Maybe there's times when we can see ourselves in that helpless man, powerless, lying at the poolside, watching other people getting in the water. And he's like, I never get to get in the water. How come I never get in the water? Oh, I've been in a few times, but I was like last. And it didn't work. I'm back here again. And he's weak and he's helpless and he's stuck. And he's there every day, just stuck. I'm always, I'm always on the mat. I'm there on the mat all the time. I keep finding myself lying on this mat. So, like I said before, John says there were so many things Jesus did. We can't write them all in the book, or in the biggest book in the world. But I'm writing these things so that you can believe something about Jesus. That's the purpose of his, of his writing. So what is it that we want to, what does he want us to believe? What does God want us to believe in this story? This story is included, it seems, so that our faith can grow as we all understand and as we learn something about how God works with people who he comes to help in Jesus. So when Jesus saw him, and knew he'd been lying there a long time. I don't know why he knew. Maybe he knew him from school. <laughs> Maybe it's a son of God thing. Maybe somebody told him. I don't know. But he knew this guy had been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? I think we've got a slide that says that. Do you want to be well? Now, wouldn't you think that's the most terrible insensitive question to ask a man who's been ill for 38 years do you want to be healed now actually grammatically I've tried to pick this to bits and the closest I can get would be this do you really want and desire to allow yourself to become clean if you pick the Greek apart of the word healed is actually the word that we get hygiene from so you could add in words like restored whole do you want all of that do you really want that now why would Jesus ask a sick man that are you actually really willing to be made whole now this is something we need to remember whenever God asks a question it's not because he needs to know the answer It's not because he's looking for information. It's because he wants us to know. If God asks you a question, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. It's because you need to know the answer. And it was important for this man to answer this question. Do you really want to be whole? Do you want to be really whole? James Keyes, who started the uh, recovery ministry here at Ivy that meets on a Thursday, um, which is a really fantastic, honest group of people who meet on a Thursday night through there pretty much every week. Because, you know, with all kinds of things that they're basically saying, this could control my life and I don't want it to control my life. I want to live whole. And they come and share their stuff. James will go back to this passage time and time again with those people and ask this question. He'll say to them, look, you're here. Great that you're here. Do you want to be made well? 
do you want to be well? Because just because you're here doesn't mean you want to be well. Lots of people, lots of people want the symptoms to go away, but they don't want the cure. Lots of people want the pain to go, but kind of leave it there. You know, give me a pill or something, make me feel better for a day or two. That's fine. Just stop it for a bit. That's it. And once the pain's over, they go right back again. Just because there's something wrong with them doesn't mean that they want to be healed. They don't want the problems. But they don't want to be changed in ways that will help them out of the problems. They want something to help them out, but they don't really want to be out. And there's nothing even God can do for somebody like that. Maybe they actually don't even want to receive divine help for their problems. They're still trying to sort it out themselves. Maybe they get attention through their problems. It's the way in which they've now begun to get their identity, their sense of who I actually am. Maybe they do kind of identify it. Maybe they can even begin. It's possible for a person to begin to love their weakness, their helplessness, their condition. They become conditioned to their condition. I remember my old vicar, Eric Delve, one day coming into church and he said that he'd been diagnosed with, di- with diabetes and he stood before the church and he said, I want you to know, I am not diabetic. I'm not a diabetic. I have diabetes. And he was like, I'm not going to be defined by that. He said, I'm going to take my medicine and I'm going to pray. Pray for me, but... It was just, I, rem- I never forget that. That he was somebody who was saying, I have got this thing, but it's not got me. I've seen people, I've seen people turn their backs on a really clear way of being set free and having a completely new, different way of life. Something that's been holding them back for years and years on a path that they, that's going nowhere. They've been stuck, lying by the pool, and they see other people do it. Other people get free right in front of them. But they're not willing to do what that person did. They want want the healing, but they're not going to do it. They won't do what they know to do. God shows them a way that would work if they worked it. But it's work. Which shows, really, they don't want to be healed. You can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. Have you found that out yet? Some people waste their lives trying to find, just to do stuff for somebody who doesn't even want to be helped. This man had been ill for how long? 38 years. But when Jesus met him, actually something happened that made him realise that his biography didn't have to be his destiny. What would you say if Jesus asked you this question? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be fully whole? Is there anything, before you answer that, in your life, in your past, in your present, in your personality, that you're holding on to 
maybe not actively, but even just passively, you've not let Jesus close enough to make you whole there yet. It could be that you've been lying there with it a long time and you just feel like it's a part of you now. It's just, that's just me. Just the way we are in our family. It's uh, just like my dad. It's, it's just the way it's always been. We're all like that, our side of the family. These are the kind of things people say. Do you want to be well? My, my dad, I remember, uh, I love my dad so much, but I was brought up in a big family of drinkers and he could drink when I was brought up watching my dad. Sometimes at night time, last orders, he'd get six pints in. And um, that was normal. Then we'd all walk home. And my granddad died of um, a very young man in his 50s. He was a very bright man. He was a chemist in Glasgow and drank himself to death. And when I got into the police and guess what? I got into a lot of drinking. And that has been a pattern for years. And there's been times when I've drunk too much. And then there's been times when it's just been normal and fine. And then I made a decision a couple of years ago that I would not drink completely. Not because it was having some control over me, but because there was no way it was going to have any control over me. So I just stopped. And I've not touched the drop since. And it's fantastic. I'm not even saying I've given it up because it didn't do me any good. You only give something up that's doing you something good. And in that area, I'm whole. Some people stay lying on a mat by the pool because maybe because they're not helpless enough yet. Not ready to give up on trying and relying on human efforts to solve their problems. Not ready to admit they can't make it on their own yet. That they need divine help. Thinking maybe one day it'll all get better. Maybe one day the bubbles will come and I'll fall in and it'll all be great. Like magic. If you know you're stuck in sin, in hurt, in hate, in a habit, in a hang-up, in a broken way of acting or being, whatever it is that you don't want to be you anymore, the Lord is saying to you as you read this and as you think about these words, do you want to be whole? And you have to answer that question for yourself. And this man does want to be healed. Notice his answer. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's troubled. And while I'm going, another one steps down before me. He's like, yeah, I do want to be healed. I'm desperate to be healed, but I can't do it. I've tried. I've done everything that I know how to do. I've tried to get into that water. I've missed it. I, I want to be healed, but I can't. Nothing helps. Nobody's helping me. That's why I'm lying here. I give up. Do you know anybody like that? Just about giving up, giving up on the situation, finding it hard to believe that there's any hope for change. There's no other way out. From a human viewpoint, they don't know what to do. They want to be healed, but they've resigned themselves to staying unhealed 
and broken and it just being the way it is. And I don't know what your problem is. I've seen all kinds of things. It could be something that has a hold on you and you try to stop it and you know it messes up your life and your family and your career and your home and you thought you had it under control and you were doing really well and you almost did and then bang, it came and got you again. Back in the same place, you're still there. You find yourself back here time and time again. Over the years I've spoken with people and it has been sometimes drugs, even prescription drugs that they can't stop, gambling, worse and worse, debt spiralling, the credit card just gets you hooked and you keep finding yourself back in the same place again and again like how did I end up here? Back on this mat. No hope. You've tried to sort the relationship out. You asked for help but it didn't work or nobody seemed to care and it was just tormenting your mind as you saw other people seem to get in that pool and jump out and be okay and like you're just going from bad to worse and it's, it is, it's torture. People end up just so messed up, lying on the mat, helpless and hopeless and not knowing what to do and that brings us to the critical moment of this story. What, Je- what did Jesus say to a man who's lost all hope, a man who has come to the end of himself and given up on any hope, even any human help at all? Did he say, well, okay, I'll stand with you and watch the pool and when it bubbles, I'll chuck you in. No. Did he say, well, fill out this form and we'll see if you're disabled enough to be able to qualify for some benefits? Because we need to test that. No, he didn't say that. He didn't offer that kind of help and he could have done and actually we should do if we care at all, we should, humanly speaking, be helping people in whatever way we possibly can. But he didn't do that. Did he say, cheer up, it'll all get okay? No. Did he say, hang on, keep coming back, maybe someday it'll be your lucky day, you're going to find yourself in the right time, at the right place, and it'll all be okay? No, he didn't say that. Did he say, let's make you really comfortable, I'm going to get you a new mattress, I'm going to put flowers all around you and I'm going to get you a pasty from Greg's. <laughs> Not that, there was no Greg's in Jerusalem at that time. That's admirable. And again, these are the kind of things that we can do with people. But no, that wasn't what he did. See, there was the ordinary human suggestions of the kind of things that we could do. But Jesus didn't say any of those things. What does Jesus say? Three things in one sentence. First, he asked the impossible. Second, he removes all possibility of a relapse. And third, he expects the impossible to be the new normal. All three things are wrapped up in those words. Rise, take up your pallet, as it says in the RSV, and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his mat and walked, it says. So the first thing Jesus tells the man to do is what he couldn't do for 38 years. How unreasonable is that? Imagine you lying there all that time and a guy comes up and says to you, that to you, what's going through his mind? Well, maybe he starts to think, well, if this man tells me to rise and I can't, maybe that's because he intends to do something that's going to make it possible. And it's only a little bit of faith. But how much faith does Jesus need? A mustard seed. Just enough to start to believe there's a new possibility. See, this has got something to do with faith. If you were here last week, Andrew talked about a step of faith. So his faith, the step is he's transferring his weight from himself onto the word of Jesus. And it's like, I'm not going to do this by my own efforts. He must do it. I can't do it. If this man's going to help me, then I've got to decide to lean on 
him. I've got to decide to do what he tells me to do. And then he takes massive action. Say massive action. action. Say massive action like you're alive. Yes. Because to do what Jesus says, that is massive action. It's not a little thing. It's not like, well, I'm going to get this little hammer. I'm going to tap your knee and see if there's a reflex. That's not what he does. Faith is massive action. That's critical. Many people miss that when they're looking for help from God. What's God telling you to do, but you're pretending not to hear him because it sounds crazy? Because it'd be like, it'd just take massive action. If you're listening to God, he'll always tell you something to believe and do and act on and it will need massive action. Jesus doesn't say, Try and wiggle that toe. Go on. He doesn't say, build up faith in your mind. Start thinking positive thoughts. Think butterflies. No, he says, do something. Rise. Think about what it is. What's involved? Rise, stand up, walk, pick the mat up, take it with you. That's all. It's like everything. Isn't it? It's not like a little bit of a... It's not like step one, let's see if we can do this. It's like, just do it all. That's what faith looks like. And I don't know whether he, he felt anything. Don't know if he got the woo or anything like that. All I know is, as he acted, it happened. Strength flooded into his body, into his muscles, into his bones. And he could do what Jesus said. He could rise and stand and walk and carry what they'd carried him in on because Jesus didn't just say rise he also said take up your bed why? I, love, I like the way G. Campbell Morgan put it he says to make no provision for a relapse see he might have said to himself wow I feel loads better that's amazing but I better leave my mat there by the pool like the Germans do because I might need it tomorrow. You see, if he'd said that, chances are he'd have been back there by the pool the next day, wouldn't he? If he'd left his mat there, he's leaving his place that he's going to come back to. But Jesus said, you know what? Take your mat with you. You're not coming back. You're not coming back. Take it with you. People miss this bit. People miss that bit. It's really important. That's why they end up back there. He's like, don't make any provision to go back to what you came from. It's like people say, I'm giving up smoking, but they keep the lighters. You're still smoking. They don't, they're going to lose weight, but they don't clear everything out of the fridge, <laughs> etc. Because I might, oh, I, I might get hungry later on. But, you know, it's like, no, do some dramatic, no way back, massive action. That's what's needed if you're going to be different. It's not just a little thing. It's like, do something big, massive action, no way back. Say goodbye to the friends who keep pulling you back 
to those old habits? Or are you going to end up back there saying, why am I back here? If you don't cancel the subscription, if you don't throw away the phone that's got her number on it, you know, people end up back where they were because they didn't burn the bridge. They didn't do what it takes to stop the possibility of going back to the old life. Just when they were getting momentum, just when they were starting to see the new life come, they end up back there because they didn't burn the bridges. You know, that's what Jesus is saying when he says, take up your mat. He's saying, burn your bridge. Decide, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going back to the old way of life. There's nothing there for me. I'm not going back there. That way of speaking, that way of thinking, that way of acting is over. I'm taking up my bed. And then Jesus says, I'm walk. Why is he saying walk? He's saying, don't expect to be carried now. Don't expect everybody else to carry you around. People sometimes want to be carried after they're healed. Actually, your job is to go and carry other people once you're healed. They want everybody still sometimes to gather around them and keep them going instead of walking it out. And that's another common cause of failure. See, if Jesus speaks to you, if Jesus gives you the power to rise, Jesus can also give you the power to pick up your mat and to walk and keep going. Now, before we're done, really quickly, John describes the immediate reaction of others to this. I find this so amazing. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, the man who healed me said to me, take up your mat and walk. So he's healed and now he's in trouble because of the Sabbath regulations. God said, have a day off. And it's right. And we should. And it's good. But men came along and put in religious rules all around it. Silly rules. Focusing on the letter of the law. Missing the point completely. And from here on in. John actually if you read the gospel. Traces the opposition that starts to rise against Jesus. From this point. The growing opposition. Official rejection. And finally the death of Jesus. The healed man is in trouble for doing what Jesus told him to do. Carrying his mat. Because they said that that's a burden, that you shouldn't carry a burden on the Sabbath. And in fact, you could be stoned. They didn't really usually do it, but the, the law still said that you could be stoned for working like that on the Sabbath. So it's serious trouble when they ask him the question. But I love, this is what I love. See, when we read through it this morning, I bet there's some people, when you read this last bit, let me read it to you just as it is. Uh, uh, uh. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take it up and walk? Now, the man who'd been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you've been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And I bet, you know, some people, that can really twist your head. What's Jesus saying? Why is he, why is he doing that? But first of all, I love the fact that the minute this new believer gets in trouble, Jesus is there. Jesus comes and finds him. Isn't that brilliant? It's like, he's just become a, you know, he just, he just got healed. He's walking it out and he gets in some trouble. Jesus finds him. Jesus, Jesus comes and finds us, doesn't he? Hands up if Jesus found you. Didn't just find you once, but he's found you a lot. He's found me a lot. And then he says, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse befall you. And that can sound a bit harsh. Is he like got him up against the wall? Is he like, hang on a minute, why are you grassing me up? You know? You watch out or something even worse will happen. 
You can read it like that if you don't really know who Jesus is. But I want to explain it because I think it's lovely. Jesus found him. How did Jesus know where to find him? Because the man had gone to the temple. Why did the man go to the temple? Because when you were healed, you went to the temple to offer a thank offering. So Jesus catches him doing something right. He's not come to tell him off for doing something wrong. He's come to meet him doing something right. So what if these words are actually not Jesus telling him off, but encouraging him? Like, you know, I healed you physically. But more important, you've been healed spiritually. You don't have to sin. You don't have to live like that anymore, like you used to. You've got a whole new life now. Go and walk it out. Go and live the way I, I, I can help you to live. You are whole. You are well. Good job. Don't go back to sin. There's nothing there for you. Worst things will happen to you if you go back that way. Keep walking my way. You're doing it right. And then it says, then the man went and told the people, it was Jesus who healed me. I don't care what you say. Jesus did it. So, let's uh, stand if we're able. We'll rise up and stand. And is there anybody here called Matt that we can carry? (laughs) Probably not. In that case, the band are going to come up. And Jesus is asking us, asking you perhaps, in some area of your life, do you want to be healed? Is there a bit? Maybe is there, is there something that, yeah, that still needs to be made whole? Something from the past, something that you carry in a hurt, it could be, or something that, you know, just you keep end up going back to that broken place again and find yourself there like, oh, I'm here again. If you can just honestly admit that, he'll meet you in that right now. And he'll give you the strength. He'll put his power into you to rise up and leave it behind And you can't do it, but you can ask the Holy Spirit to do it. And Jesus' words to you are, rise and stand up and take up your bed and walk. That thing that used to define you and you are used to identify with, it's just become something that you can carry into the future. But you don't even have to carry it around all the time. You can let it go. Lord Jesus, we are here like a crowd of people lying around that pool in the house of mercy waiting to be healed we want to be whole just tell him if that's what you want just tell him just under your breath or in some way yeah you do want his wholeness Lord we try all kinds of ways and means and we've looked for human help and we've looked to help ourselves But now we listen to your wonderful voice. And as I speak this one more time, I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit's power to come in and break chains and bring healing and set free and give hope.
rise. You don't have to stay there. Rise and take up your bed. And walk in Jesus' name. Walk differently. Walk to a place of thanksgiving. Lord, as we come into worship now, it's like we're walking to the temple and we're carrying that thing from the past just to say, this thing, I'm leaving it here at the temple. Just as a sign to everybody of what used to be. But that's not me anymore. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.